of the scriptures says, uh, for his ways are past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And it, this is the way of the Lord. Here is the king of the universe being tried, and he willingly submits to the whole process. And the, our text ends with him being scourged and delivered to be crucified. And it starts with this statement, and, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation. This is so amazing. This is, again, the, they had been plotting to kill Jesus. We know from the history, about two and a half years They've been planning this. They've been hoping for this. They've been looking for a way. And these, these chief priests, it's the, the list, listen to the list. It's elders, chief priests, elders, scribes, and the whole council. That's called the, the Sanhedrin. Uh, they have freedom. They have power. They are under the Roman rule. But under the Roman rule, these are the, this is the power structure. In other words, they have all the resources they need. You know, in the United States, we think, well, if you're wealthy, you can hire really good lawyers, and hopefully that they'll outdo the lawyers uh, for the other side, right? And these are the guys who, they are the really good lawyers. You know, when it says scribes, they're the experts in their law. And, and, and they had said earlier, well, we want to kill Jesus. Uh, they've already decided he's guilty. This looks like a trial, right? It looks like a hearing, but there's no trial here. There's no hearing. They've already decided before they enter into the room what, what the verdict is going to be. Um, but they've had all this time, and one thing they said is, well, we just don't want to do it during the Passover. <laughs> and even in that, they're thwarted. Their will is thwarted. Because uh, God has determined that Jesus will be crucified, will be offered during the Passover. He's the Lamb of God. It's, it's all prophetic. It, it, it fulfills the prophecies of ancient times. Uh, a thousand-year-old prophecies are fulfilled. And, and the best of human effort cannot thwart the, the plan and will of God. Evil conspired against our Lord. That's what we're looking at here. Evil, but these are all the religious guys. These are the orthodox. They're the, the straight and narrow. They, they, they own the truth. <laughs> and they're making the truth. They're not submitting to the truth. They're producing it. And, for, and that's what makes them so dangerous. And here in the morning, again, last night was the Passover feast. It's, it's the first day of the Passover. Jews aren't supposed to be up at the break of dawn having a, a hearing about some man they're trying to, in an illegitimate way, murder. It's, it's all wrong, you see. It's just all wrong. It's evil conspiring against our Lord. They... They were at this for a very long time. And notice all the leadership 
they were together on this. They all they had to force a uh, what's the word consensus, right? They didn't want anybody in the room disagreeing. We're going to stay at this. We're going to grind it down. You know, we've been they've been up all night having this thing, and then first thing in the morning they call the whole council together and they rehearse the testimony of what they heard. The biggest thing was that Jesus claimed to be, yes, I am the Son of God. Uh, and that's where, look, you look up uh, in verse, um, verse 60 of 14, right? It says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? I'm sure he's exasperated at this point. What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? Again, don't miss the cultural, uh, linguistic impact of that. Here's this Jewish leader looking at Jesus and saying, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's fulfilling? And not, not a Messiah, not a, an anointed one, but the anointed one. Are you the son of the blessed? See that there? Are you the son of the blessed? That's important. Which again, the, the whole word of, of the blessed, it's this Hebrew mindset where you, you don't say the name of God because you might violate the commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So they, they substitute a different word in there. Uh, so when they say, are you the son of the blessed? They're saying, are you the son of God? We would say bluntly in English, are you the son of God? And, and then see Jesus' answer is potent. 62, and Jesus said, I am. Remember I told you in Greek, that's ego emi. Ego is I, and emi is I am. Emi is the verb to be, I am. So in other words, it's a little bit redundant. I, I, I am. Uh, and John records uh, seven times that Jesus used this phrase, like, for example, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. That one nearly got him stoned because that was blasphemy uh, because it, it actually linguistically goes back to the, the name of God who said, Tell him, I am has sent you. And uh, Yahweh itself, that name, as I said, Yahweh uh, Eloheinu, Yahweh our God, that goes back linguistically to the verb to be. And so Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm the Son of God, and I am God. And, and they say, okay, that's it. Look, uh, Jesus says, verse 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power, again, a Hebraism for God, the right hand of God, and coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, probably a reference to the myriad of angels who will come with him when he comes back. See, the paradigm will shift. Okay, that's What I mean by that is there's a way of understanding things and you can look around the whole world. You, you can honestly look around the whole world and say there is no God. 
All of this happened by an amazing series of freak accidents. And why? Because, well, a lot of bad things happen too. A lot of things, sometimes we don't get the rhythm, you know. And bad things happen, much worse than not getting the rhythm. But we live in a world that's cursed and broken. And it's, you know, there's a lot of evidence to say, hey, there really isn't a God. And it's a big fairy tale to think that God made all this and that he's coming again. That, that's, that's a paradigm. That's a, a chart to understand things. But the paradigm will shift at some point where there'll be no more question. <laughs> you know, there he is, coming with the clouds of, of angels. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. Completely unusual, unique from any other being. So that, and then what I'm driving at is that, uh, look at verse 63, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And all the guys there that night said he's deserving death. So chapter 15, verse 1, they get everybody together in the morning and said, this is what we've heard. He deserves death. Let's go off to Pilate. Let's go to Pilate. So this first paragraph looks at this interaction with Pilate. So, and Pilate asked him, first thing, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Kind of like literally, well, you said it. <laughs> um, and the chief priest accused him of many things and Pilate again asked him have you no answer to make see how many charges they bring against you but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed so let's unpack this a little bit it really helped me as I was reading and preparing I've, I have a really good commentary uh, by uh, a He's a professor at a, a divinity school, and um, this is his comment. And this is like, he, he does this super deep research to uh, say this. Listen, listen to this confrontation. I, you don't get this if you're like used to it, and you're, you're. I'm an English. I'm not English. I'm American. You know, we, we don't tread on me. We have no king. We don't like royalty. Uh, sometimes I've been a little flippant about royalty, and I had a. A person from uh, Australia, I think it might have been New Zealand, they, after church, they said, you know, Pastor, you really need to be a little bit more careful about royalty uh, because, you know, they, in the UK, they uh, respect royalty. In fact, while I'm reading this, you can look at Buckingham Palace. So this is what this uh, Joel says about this. Indeed, in the Roman world at large, a claim to be king or a real or imagined slight to the emperor, even in jest, was sometimes enough to get a person crucified. The emperor in Jesus' day, Tiberius, was especially sensitive to such perceived insults, which cost people their lives for matters as light as changing one's clothes near a statue of Augustus. By the way, here's Augustus. Everybody keep your clothes on for a minute here. 
<laughs> so if you, in other words, if you're, if you're near a statue of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and you, for some reason, wanted to change your shirt or something, you could be arrested and crucified because you disrespected the king. And if you claim to be king, that's worthy of crucifixion itself. Let me read a little bit more here. Um, if you carried into a privy, a bathroom, a toilet, if you carried into this privy a ring or a coin stamped with his image or accepting an honor on the same day that he got one, that is, uh, Tiberius got one, those were reasons to be killed. I mean, it's, in, it's a, a paranoia. It's a, um, what's the word? It's extreme. Like, we don't get that, right? I've got a coin of George Washington. Don't I? Isn't George on, the, on a quarter? Yeah, George. George is on a quarter. I don't have any coins, but imagine I had a coin. I go into the restroom. I use the restroom. Nobody in the church is, did you hear what the pastor did? <laughs> he went into the restroom with a quarter in his pocket. <laughs> you know, Crucify him! <laughs> you know, wait a minute. That could actually happen. <laughs> no, you know, it's, we don't even get this mindset of the extreme honor for the word king and emperor in the Roman Empire. Let me I read a little bit more because his thoughts are very awesome here. In latter times, offenders against the majesty of the emperor were defined to include people who claimed offices that, they did, not, that did not belong to them and kings of foreign nations who failed to submit to the will of the Roman people. The substance of Jesus' reply, therefore, is not calculated to induce sympathetic feelings in the emperor's subordinate, right? He's not trying to make Pilate happy at all. If Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? A guy who's trying to protect himself would say, no, 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 oh, no, not me. Far be it from me. Look, I have no coins in my pocket. You know, No, don't accuse me of that. It, far be it. No. It says, and, and look, and its manner, though his reply, its manner is just as bad since it cheekily shifts the responsibility for a positive evaluation of Jesus' kinship, kingship onto Pilate himself. <laughs> Jesus, it's a cheeky response. You know, it's, it's a little sassy. I know that sounds a little weird, but that, we don't get that when we read it through in English. But he, he basically says, you said it, bud. You know, you're the one saying it, you know. Uh, it, it throws it back on Pilate himself. He's not trying to please Pilate at all. He's not groveling or begging for help from Pilate. Uh, finishing up the little bit here, uh, it says, um, it shifts the responsibility for a positive evaluation of Jesus' kingship onto Pilate himself. Jesus employs none of the respectful rhetoric, rhetoric my Lord, etc., that might be expected from a low-class provincial on trial for his life before the supreme Roman official in Palestine. And he's got other evidence here of other people coming before Pilate. And, they, you know, it's groveling. Oh, my, you know, may the king live forever. Your majesty, please, you know. Fear and trembling, you approach this man. By answering back, rather, he displays the very royal consciousness 
that he is being interrogated about. Since no one would dare to answer a ruler in this way unless he felt himself to be somehow his superior. He's saying, this answer, you said so, shows that Jesus thinks himself to be the superior of Pilate. And he is. Uh, The edginess of the response is increased by the fact that it is delivered in the presence of members of the Jewish elite before whom Pilate risks losing face if he does not react strongly. So this this interaction, this confrontation between Pilate and Jesus is just potent. And Jesus has an opportunity here to avoid the inevitable that he's going to be crucified by just being nice and maybe a little bit of denial about who he really is. Uh, And he doesn't. He doesn't go there at all. And this is the majesty of Jesus. I see actually this in a glorious boldness, you know. This is the word of God. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Jesus definitely displays power here, Uh, boldness. He's not timid. He's not cowering in fear like any sort of normal person would do. I've told you about that, didn't I? I? I know I did, but I'll tell you again. One time I was a very young man. One, at one time I was a young man. And uh, I was a security guard in Washington, D.C. Uh, and they gave us Smith & Wesson revolvers with five bullets in them. One of them was always empty. And um, one day, this goes back to the 80s, Ronald Reagan was coming to visit the building in which I worked, which, which was uh, the Department of Energy, the James Forrestal building on La Enfant Plaza. Gee, did you hear that? Ronald Reagan was coming to see us. The king (laughs) was coming. And uh, they looked around the ragtag group of security guards and said, you are going to operate the elevator. And it was me. (laughs) So they, needless to say, took away my holster and the gun. And uh, I I met him in the basement of course, there were two uh, Secret Service men in the elevator with us with these huge bulging pockets with some sort of Uzi or something in there. And when Ronald Reagan stepped on the elevator, and I'm, I'm at the buttons, ready to push the button, the, the most important button I've ever pushed in my life. <laughs> yeah. And you know what happened is, in my mind and soul and heart, I started floating. I, my feet were like two feet off the ground. I was, I was numb, and it was unreal, and uh, it was, wow, what is, it, this is the presence of Ronald Reagan, the, the, you know, the leader of the free world. And, and, and I managed to push the right button, and we went up, got to the right floor. I think it was just two floors. The door opens, Ronald Reagan starts to make a move out, and I, I, I'm, I'm standing there, and I go, <laughs> which the Secret Service guys thought, uh-oh. <laughs> but they looked, oh, it's just, it's just he's trying to get his handshake. So I shook his hand, this hand. You can shake it after the service. Ronald Maximus Reagan. <laughs> 
So, and I, I floated like the rest of the day. Uh, it, why am I saying that? I'm saying that any normal person in the presence of Pilate would just be a puddle, would just melt. But Jesus is no normal person. <laughs> he is the son of the blessed and the son of man. He is Melech Ha'olam. Dear friends, are you kidding? Pilate was like a molecule <laughs> compared to Jesus. Jesus was actively <laughs> holding his molecules together while they're in that early morning courtroom. So I just, you know, worship the king. You know, Jesus is amazing. So, so, so amazing. And also I want to say, think about this. As I said earlier, it's way very easy to say, oh, come on, that's a fantasy. You know, it's a fairy tale that there's a God who made the world and that, you know, he loves us. And Jesus, you know, somehow, we saw, what? He died on a cross 2,000 years ago and that changes your eternity. All of that's just fantasy. I can't believe you believe that. At this point, I just want to proclaim something to you, that Jesus is who he said he was. And you will know that someday. You will know that every being, every human being will know that. And it'll be the biggest horrible regret of your life that while you had the opportunity, you didn't turn to him. So I say, turn to him. Come to him now while you can. This is a verse in Psalm 2. Uh, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's our Jesus. And if you ignore him, you're ignoring the king of the universe. You're ignoring the one who shed his blood for your sins. You're saying, no, I don't believe in sin. Or if I do, it's no big deal. And hey, I'll pay for it myself. I paid for everything else myself. I'll pay for my sin. Don't make that mistake because the payment is massive. You're underwater, so deep. You can't ever pay it. That's what the Word of God says because the wages of sin is death. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't want to get uh, over the top here, but I just say, this is Jesus, and he loves us. And it's an offering for you to truly respect the King of Kings. The other facet of this is that he just didn't answer. He gave that one answer, which I think, he's, I think that Joel is right. It's kind of a cheeky answer. Uh, it's not respectful. <laughs> the other aspect of this is, though, it's just pure, prophetic, glorious fulfillment. Look with me, if you have a Bible, Isaiah 53. This is a passage of Scripture. We all, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've known it pretty well. Uh, you just look at Isaiah 53, verse 7. It says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's written 700 years before Jesus existed as, as the Son of Man. And, and he's fully fulfilling that prophecy. He, he just didn't answer all of their accusations. And so he's just, it's, he believes in Scripture. 
And he fulfills the scripture by his very action. All right, let's look at the rest of this text quickly. I don't want to spend, uh, take all of your time this morning. Um, the next paragraph talks about this whole Barabbas uh, exchange. Apparently, it was an informal thing that the Romans uh, would sort of, they, they, they wanted to please the Jews. Happy, happy Jews make happy Romans, you know. If they're peaceful, they're not in revolt, they're going to go in full-on revolt. Uh, in, in, in the 60s, they had a huge rebellion, which the Romans end up crushing in 70 A.D. But So we're in around in 30-something A.D. at this point. And they have this weird custom that on Passover, the Romans would release a prisoner, uh, you know, some sort of political prisoner usually. And it, so it says here in verse uh, 6, Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And this is obviously not a picture of Barabbas, but imagine. <laughs> There's this guy, notice the text says he's called Barabbas. There's a, there's a wonderful play on words here. Because, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this, this is the play on words. And here, here, let me put it this way. Are you going to release Barabbas or Bar-Abba? Because Barabbas in Hebrew means son of the father. Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. He is the son of Abba, father, God, the father. Remember, this is in chapter 14. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, praying his heart out, you know, sweating. He's working so hard at prayer. By the way, to God, the father, he pleaded. He pleaded for mercy to God the Father, not to Pilate. <laughs> not to Pilate, but to God the Father. And he, of course, he, he finished it, says, not my will. Let me read this. Abba. See, now that's good old Hebrew. The Hebrew name, a word for father is Av or Ab, like Abraham. Abraham means the father of many people. Uh, Abba. And Abba is like daddy. It's just like daddy. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So this guy, he's called Barabbas, but uh, Mark sees the irony here. There's because there's this clear choice: Are you? Do you want Barabbas or Baraba, <laughs> the son of God? Do you? Which one do you want to release? You know, one side or the other, what do you want for me today? And, and they chose Barabbas. And, and again, that's a choice that every human being makes. Either I choose Jesus or I choose something else. If you choose something else, you're choosing something infinitely inferior. And you're choosing a whole para paradigm, a, a way to understand life that will work you know, for 80 or 90 years, if you live that long. It, it will work. It, I, I can't, it, maybe it won't work well, but it might actually work really well for you. 
But believe me, I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is, he's coming. And you'll find that that whole Barabbas way of understanding life is completely false. And it'll completely fall apart. And you'll find out that that paradigm was so fallacious. It seems so convincing, but it's not. Go with God's paradigm, who is Jesus, Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. And of course, so that, that's the whole thing. So, which do you want, Pilate says. Shall I release to you, verse 12, uh, what shall I do with this man that you call the king of the Jews and the, the, the Jewish leaders, the spiritual advisors? It stirred up the crowd and their, their opinion, the opinion leaders convinced the whole crowd who like six days ago were saying Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest some of them you know maybe not the same individuals but the same town the same actors now they say crucify him they scream out just crucify this one get rid of him we don't need him no we don't believe it we just don't believe it I can't believe it anymore because the world is too harsh and too difficult that's a fantasy. I don't believe it. So here are my closing thoughts, rounding it all together in, in a way. First of all, be cautious about human authority. All the human authority in this text is, is wrong. And these are the prime opinion leaders, and they're wrong. They're convincing you of something that is false. So be cautious about the the orthodoxy. You know, this is our orthodoxy. This is what we believe. And we are, you know, irrationally committed to this orthodoxy. We don't want to examine it. We accept it. I'm preaching a different orthodoxy, right? Which I am uh, rationally, perhaps irrationally committed to as well. But it's the word of God versus the word of man. I think it's a far superior source. So be cautious about human authority. Secondly, even though Jesus looks like nothing, he is the king of all. I just proclaim that. The word of God proclaims that he is the king of all. And everyone will know that. And this question comes right out of that. Will we honor him today? And then, of course, the whole text gets to, gets to, to this. He is willing to suffer for us. He's willing. He doesn't stop. He continues on. He is led like a lamb to the slaughter to be our Savior. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we just pray for your wisdom and grace and help to understand this and to respond to your word in an appropriate way, Lord. We thank you so much for this revelation of what happened on the road to the, the crucifixion, the cross. And Lord, help us to be cautious about human authority, question their authority, question their sources, examine how they are coming to their conclusions, examine it in the light of the Word of God. And help us, Lord, to see Jesus as the King, regardless of how in this story he looks like a, a nothing, a marshmallow that's getting pushed around. Lord, help us to honor him today in an increasing way, O oh Father.
We worship and praise you and we want to live for you. We thank you for the, the blood that cleanses us from all sin. And today we want to offer ourselves to you, O oh Lord. And then finally, we just we think about how that Jesus in this passage is the willing sacrifice. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to close with a song.